Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Fed Chair Jerome Powell recently signaled a slowdown in the pace of interest rate hikes as soon as this month. Have we officially reached peak inflation? And what are the implications? We're joined by Portfolio Manager Patrice Quirion today to discuss global equities and where he is allocating geographically as we enter 2023. For Canadian investors, Patrice manages Fidelity Global Concentrated Equity Fund and Fidelity International Concentrated Equity Fund, as well as private pool strategies. Today, with host Pamela Ritchie, Patrice explains how he takes a very contrarian approach to managing his portfolios. This means that he enters parts of the market that may have been out of favor, where the market likely overreacted to the downside from perceived risk, or just trends going the wrong way. For the past few years, it meant being more exposed to the financial sector, as well as more geographical exposure to Europe and to China, at the detriment of large underweights in the U.S. Also, reflecting on the U.S., Patrice believes the U.S. dollar's strong performance has peaked. This podcast was recorded on December 1st, 2022. And for anyone interested in French content from Patrice, please check out our Dialogues Fidelity French podcast channel. Patrice also spoke with Charles Denis, VP Regional Sales Quebec, and that discussion will be featured on that podcast channel. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. There's a, there's a lot of noise out there for sure in markets. There has been for some time, but actually, are you finding perhaps some of that noise is is shifting to the side just a bit? Yeah, the past few years have really been so driven by macro geopolitics. Uh, stock picking maybe fell aside a little bit in terms of importance. Uh, it is still incredibly important at this stage, in my opinion, but the direction is potentially changing. I think if we just reflect back a little bit on 2022, if there is one thing the market really dislikes is to have to deal with just large amounts of uncertainty. And we've had a lot of that, especially since the conflict in Ukraine that basically propelled the inflation fears and the inflation like dynamics to a whole different levels given commodity prices exploded to the upside. And that led to inflation sort of instead of grinding gradually higher to spike higher. And I think we are at a stage where we can start to make a pretty strong case on that abating. And the debate is still open on do we revert back to two or do we go down to a level that is maybe a little bit higher than 2%. But the direction of travel has changed. And I think that in itself is removing some of the uncertainty. Uh, I think steps like Inflation missing going back like a month ago, the Powell speech yesterday, the commodity prices coming off from a still good but slowing global economy. I think all of that is starting to dress a picture that as we go into next year, I think the direction of travel 
might still be towards a slower economy. But I think that the range of outcomes of just not knowing where does inflation peak, how high do rates need to go before activity slows down, how controllable is all of that going to be? I think we are starting to remove some of that uncertainty. And because the market has a tendency to overreact, especially in periods where there is heightened level of volatility, uh, if we can start removing those like extreme tail risk kind of uh, market events or uncertainty, I think that on its own is probably starting to project a different yeah, mindset of the market. And I think this is reflective of what's been going on for past two months. And in all likelihood, can probably go a little bit further here. Okay, interesting. I mean, so how ultimately does that affect what you're doing? I mean, how does opportunity look to you now versus two months ago or even six months ago? Just as a quick reminder, if I may, uh, my approach is always to take a very contrarian approach. So go in the parts of the, of the market that have been sort of out of favor for an extended period of time, where the market likely overreacted to the downside from perceived risk or just trends going the wrong way. And in my case, really for the past uh, few years, it meant being more and more exposed to Europe, more and more exposed to China at the detriment of fairly large underweights in the US. From a sector perspective, it meant more into the cyclical part of the economy at the detriment of the growthier parts of the economy and the very defensive parts of the market. And as the aftermath of the Ukrainian situation like really hurt that positioning, I've actually increased that to basically as far as I was comfortable. So I will never put all our eggs in the same baskets in the portfolios that I manage, but I'm willing to deviate quite a bit. Those are concentrated portfolios where we really try to express where we think or where I think the biggest disconnects are between market values and sort of values that would be based on a normalized environment, on a long-term average environment for businesses. And this is really where we found those. In Europe, particularly? Like in yeah. Europe and in China, particularly? Because you mentioned those. I'm just curious, sort of, it looked really bad for a long time, and maybe it still does. But the question is, what do you do with that? In a way, the fact that the trends have been so bad has created the opportunity, the market as in my opinion, overreacted and really discounted a lot of these securities like significantly versus what fair value or normalized earnings in a normalized environment looks like. In the case of Europe, it's been to a large extent from the result of the uncertainty around energy supply going into the winter. Uh, I'm not saying there's zero risk, but I think the risks are very small that there is an actual shortage of energy. There is the impact on price, but I think this is very well understood by the market. I think there's been a lot of very severe reactions, especially uh, in Germany. And again, I think if we take a longer term view, those energy prices are not sustainable over time. Renewables will get built, more LNG will get imported. It won't need to be at these kind of price levels. And in the shorter term, I think the situation is likely to end up being more benign than what the market feared going back earlier this summer. We keep Storage hearing about the weather. Is that, is that why or is that part of the story? I think there's been a 
pretty meaningful capacity to reduce demand as a result of high prices that's having an impact. And there's been alternative sources of supply. And look, there, I'm not saying it's an easy situation, but I think it is a manageable situation that the market thought as being an unmanageable situation. And those are the kind of disconnects that really impact sentiment, really impacts prices. And when you think of buying these businesses, not on the basis of the risk today or the prices they need to pay for natural gas today, but on the basis of what kind of profitability can these companies generate once we are through this phase, there was some pretty large disconnects. Um, same thing in China. The story there is all about reopening. I know in the background there is a weakening economy, there is issues in the real estate market, but truthfully this is secondary to the impact and the weight the market attributes in terms of sentiment driver to the lockdowns from COVID. And again, we can debate when are they going to reopen. Some would say it's coming soon. Some will say it's March. Some will say it's next summer. Truthfully, I don't think we really know. But I think there are signs that they are embarking on a path to get ready to reopen. And in a way, like predicting precisely when that happens, if you're taking a contrarian, longer term view of investing, like analyzing businesses and how much you pay versus normal earnings, the precise timing of it doesn't really matter. What matters is how big is the discount? How much is the upside potential once we get there? And I think in the case of China, it is meaningful, and that's why we've been building positions through that phase. You, you've sort of answered it here, but just spell it out further. The, the role for GARP, growth at a reasonable price, how does that look for 2023 versus maybe what's set up for 2022? I'm just sort of curious, like, is it looking particularly good and different? I mean, is it, tell, you've answered some of it there, but it, what is the prognosis? In my opinion, how we're setting up for next year is, and how it translates to my investment style and what I'm trying to accomplish in the portfolio. So look at what is out of favor, what's contrarian, what is of reasonable quality within these contrarian parts of the market. So yes, I'm willing to take a bet on Europe getting better, the energy crisis not being as impactful as the market fear, but I wanna buy companies that if I'm proven to be wrong, Time is going to be on our side. So I'm not playing Europe through chemical manufacturers, which are critically dependent on energy price and natural gas supplies. I'm playing it through variety of other industries that would be a lot less tied to it. Think of, I don't know, the auto sector or software companies in Europe, for instance, that are fairly disconnected, but it's been punished on that. So Financials based on interest rates? Financials in Europe? Financials is another area where I do have a fair bit of exposure. Um, definitely very contrarian when we build those exposures uh, uh, through the course of 2021. Starting to come our way a little bit on that. A lot of it is starting to come our way. I think the market is starting to appreciate the higher certainty on what next year looks like. And to answer your question on what's the prognostic on how to be positioned going into next year, I think we will be on a path to lower inflation. We could be on a path to probably a low inflation level, maybe not sustainable, but a lot of the issues that propelled inflation higher, which was the spike in commodity prices and in agricult agricultural commodity prices that pushed food prices, all of that is going to be going from a meaningful year-over-year -year inflation contributor to actually a meaningful deflation contributor next year, just given the 
the large drop in some of these prices by the time we get to next summer. So I think the inflation picture is gonna look a lot more benign. I think we will have answer to where does the Fed peak? And I think it's much more likely to be around the 5% than maybe the fears of 6% that were tossed around earlier. I think the economy will slow, but it will allow the market to start to have visibility on what the trough looks like. And once we get there, the market is going to change its mindset. And maybe we're already sort of seeing parts of that over the past few months. It will change its mindset from asking where's the trough and how bad is the trough on the global economy to saying we are not the trough, we have discounted a fair bit of that, let's position ourselves for the upcoming recovery because the market is by definition a forward-looking mechanism and the market tends to look six to 12 months out. And I think over the course of 2023, there will be a point where 12 months out, we will start to predict an economic recovery. And I have decent conviction on that because the slowdown that we are through has been self-orchestrated in a way by central banks. The reason we are seeing a, an economic slowdown is not because the consumer was in terrible shapes or companies were not spending. It's because inflation was too high and we had to increase interest rates. And we will get inflation back under some control. I'm not saying precisely 2%, but we'll get it in that sort of range where the, if things were to weaken more significantly or for a protracted period of time, the central banks will have the ability to basically just ease back on all the levers they pulled. So I think there will be a pretty clear picture to expect a recovery without having to think like this is going to happen three or five years out. I think it is shorter term, and I think that could well be the story of 2023. That's so interesting. Do you think that related to all the things you're talking about, the U.S. dollar has peaked? I think it's quite likely we've seen the peak in the U.S. dollar. There's two things that drives it. It is one, what's the risk aversion in the market? The US dollar is a flight to safety type of asset. And the risk aversion in the market has been severe, uh, especially in the aftermath of the Ukrainian conflict earlier this year, and then through the summer as inflation really spiraled, perceived as out of control. So the inflation and the risk aversion has really propelled the US dollar. The second thing is that brings the US dollar into the, or any currency into uh, relative movements is interest rate differentials, or I should mention more precisely, expectations around interest rates differentials. And because the economy has been stronger earlier in the US, uh, it led to expectations of Fed rate hikes to be uh, of greater magnitude than what we've seen in Europe, where we've seen some, but it's been more modest, and certainly like versus Japan, where we've seen none or versus China, where they're actually cutting rates. But now we're reaching a point where I think the market is finding that sort of peak in US dollar interest rates. At the same time, Europe will probably need to continue to increase interest rates. China won't be able to ease much further. And there is a bit of a question mark on can the BOJ in Japan maintain rates at zero. So I think the picture could actually turn the other way, where rate expectations in the US plateau, the rest of the world keeps going up, and that would be bearish US dollar combined with greater uh, risk tolerance or uh, <clears throat> more risk on appetite potentially in the market over the course of the next year. And that would lead to a picture where the US dollar peaked. And that is quite beneficial actually to economies outside of the US where certainly the inflation pressure they're facing 
eases, it moves capital back uh, or stops the exodus of capital towards some of these regions. And I think could go somewhere in reverting sentiment and reverting some fairly large like discrepancies in terms of valuations across uh, different parts of the world right now. It's so interesting. And, and companies at this point, and this is sort of a global question or within reason, have faced their own cost of capital realities at this point, right? I mean, there, there aren't many companies that haven't had to stare that in the face at this point. Is that fair? Yeah, uh, I, I think the bigger impact of higher cost of capital is more on the valuation of assets in the market and therefore how much are we going to pay for a given stream of earnings. Companies, the highly levered companies, have definitely felt the impact. And even if their interest rates are hedged on their debt, the market's looking ahead. So we've seen some very meaningful correction in the prices of companies that have what's deemed as high uh, levels of financial leverage on their balance sheet. At some point, that will turn into an opportunity as well. I think we need to be careful uh, because as much as I am sort of optimistic on the market having moved past peak inflation, that reverting down lower, uh, I think there is still the question out there of on a sustainable basis, are we getting inflation back to 2%? If the answer is no because of wages that remain maybe a little bit higher than what we'd like to see, maybe it doesn't allow the Fed to pivot. Um, so maybe we peak, but maybe we don't get the rate cuts uh, that the bond market expects over the course of 2024. And I'm not sure exactly where we stand today, but there's something like five interest rate cuts, I think, baked into the expectations right now. I am not very confident on that necessarily being the base case. And if the economy is good enough and inflation persists at maybe a bit more than 2%, maybe we don't get those rate cuts and cost of capital is maybe permanently a little bit higher than expected. And that makes it difficult to justify a big valuation re-rating thesis on the broad market and especially on the cost of capital sectors uh, like growth, like really high quality businesses, or like very highly financially levered businesses. Just looking at, you know, what's done well, what's again, you know, valuations of what's been sort of left because the concerns are there. So is there something to say on the size of companies looking at sort of the small cap question versus larger? I think it's a secondary impact like the market cap spectrum. But in general, I would say that smaller mid cap businesses had been more punished. Uh, they're usually seen as a little bit more of a risk on asset class. So when we're in a risk off market, these tends to not perform quite as well. A lot of them are more cyclical. They're more economically sensitive because the large cap, the mega caps, uh, there's more growth stocks. There's a lot of like the big, like whatever, consumer staples or the more defensive companies in the larger cap spectrum. So um, I think there are more opportunities into that small and mid cap part of the market. But I think the sectors where we play, uh, the style exposures is really what's going to matter. And I think value is still fairly well positioned. Um, as I said, I think the rest of the world is suddenly looking a bit better. But I would say all of that with a big caveat that when we go to inflection points uh, in terms of what's leading the market, the moves can be very uh, abrupt. And I think we have seen some of that already over the past couple months. And as a result, as a contrarian investor, I was already positioned on this more value cyclical XUS 
uh, in a pretty meaningful way in my portfolios. And at the margin, what I'm looking to do uh, is rebalance a little bit, like take some profits we've had over the past couple of months and start to look again for the first time in a lot of a long period of time, like past few years, look again at some selective like US tech companies, for instance, where I had no exposure and where valuations have really come off in a pretty meaningful way. So I think in my view of the world, I, I want to still be exposed to those exposures I had, but maybe start reducing those bet sizes, rebalancing a little bit towards what has really not been working uh, over, over the course of the past year. Mm, that's fascinating, some of the things. Just just to go back to geographic, so you mentioned the US. Do you want to just remind investors, your universe for for various funds, but you know broadly where you will look, where you won't look? Yeah, so just a quick recap. So global concentrated allows me to go anywhere globally and international concentrated strips out North America. So this is truly a Europe, Asia, emerging market uh, portfolio. Uh, I'll comment on the global fund. I think it's more relevant. Uh, the U.S. is 60% of the world's market cap, much higher than historically, by the way. Uh, it's used to be sort of the high 40s or 50-ish level mark. I am about one-third of the portfolio, and the delta there, like almost 30% underweight in the U.S., has been allocated to Europe uh, and to China and some selective emerging markets like uh, South Korea, for instance. Um, pretty big underweight in Japan in my case. As I mentioned at the margin, like as that positioning got pretty extreme, like this is probably as far as I will go in terms of uh, dispersion versus uh, yeah, what, what the market is built. At the margin, maybe looking to start rotating back a little bit in, in the parts of the US that have been underperforming. But I think it is still somewhat early days. I think especially in the case of China, that remains really deeply out of favor. Uh, at this moment. Um, Europe's having a lot of discussions about whether they have to choose between trading with the US, with China. How do you see that? Do you see that as noise as well? I think there are pockets where this is absolutely real. And I think the choice is, is not a choice. It is clear. They, they will line up on the side of, of, of the US. Um, so it's to be careful on the sectors where it is sensitive. And I would put technology being one of those. Uh, we've seen what happened with semiconductors. Um, I think this is not something that's going to get resolved. I think this is a new reality. Um, so yeah, businesses that are either European or American that derive a lot of revenues from selling semiconductors to China, like that part of the business is dead. I think more broadly, uh, there is an ongoing effort by Chinese companies to replicate industries uh, that were historically held by yeah, US or European or Japanese or South Korean companies. Uh, this is gonna be more of a slow grind. Like think of what's happening in the auto industry, at first, it was to go after the mass market where the Chinese companies have done really well. So now basically like the Fords and GM and uh, whatever, like Nissan and Mazda of the world have really suffered in China. But at the same time, like the Mercedes and BMWs and Audi and Porsche have been doing really well. And at some point it will grow into a risk. But I think this is, this is not something that plays out over like a few quarters. This is something that's going to play out over like decades to come. We need to be mindful of these trends uh, for companies that have a lot of exposure to China, but I don't think it should be 
part of the investment thesis on the short term where the decision around when and how to reopen is going to be materially more important to to the sentiment on these stocks. Okay, that's really that's that's a big change actually. That's a, that's a huge change. Do you think Patrice that always there's there's you know big headlines often made when data is released it's actually been this way for years um the data dependent phrase was even before the pandemic as we know but that said do you, do you think there's a little bit less of the data dependency going forward i mean it's just sort of these subtle shifts tomorrow's jobs day we know that but do you think that there's maybe just less all pent up in in these data points Honestly, in the short term, I don't think so. I think that remains critical to how the market really wants to see stabilization on the cost of capital. And what matters most to that is inflation. And what matters to inflation is commodity prices and employment data points. So I think over the next six months, it's unlikely to matter a great deal less. That said, as we move further into 2023, and we hopefully get that inflation like narrative, like easing, interest rates environment being uh, sort of more stable. I think we will likely, assuming there's no other like tail risk that that surface, I think we will likely move to a sort of early stage of the next economic cycle introduction. And as we move into that, I think the typical view that the cycle doesn't last like six months or a year or two, it lasts, I don't know, five or seven or, I don't know, maybe up to 10 years, I think that will start to prevail. And as a result, I think how companies perform with the investor's mindset, that is, we are just in the early beginning of the next cycle, I think the macro noise should start to matter less and company-specific performance should start to matter more. So I think there's hope to get there. Uh, that would help firms like us, uh, where we put so much effort on the stock picking, but I don't think it's going to be the reality for the next uh, few quarters. Yeah, it's really interesting to catch up with you at this particular juncture and at this point. Patrice Carrion, thank you very much. All the best for the holidays ahead and uh, great to see you. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you soon. I'm Pamela Ricci. Thank you for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.